Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. <clears throat> Alright, we're now recording. Oh, are we? Yeah, I don't know how I like the seating position, you know. I'm no, I'm the one that said that I was gonna sit <laughs> on this side of the table, but I don't know if I like it. Typically I sit what do I sit on the right side of you and I'm sitting on the left. I just I don't, uh, well, I don't this is probably could be a really shitty episode because of it well i can see out the window so i don't really see much out the window except for the side of another building but if something happens i'll let you know well it's probably best that i don't look out the window because i will get distracted that was a big issue for me in college one of our like lecture rooms had like floor to ceiling windows mm. which was kind of nice uh, cause you got to look at trees, but at the same time, like, Lord, people be running, like, people, like, on the track team would run by. Oh, yeah. And so I just sit there counting how many times these bitches would go around. <laughs> but, oh, five times. So. I could never. I'd be dead out on that field. Oh, absolutely. Running? Never. No. <laughs> I could not. Could not do it. Well, welcome to, this is gonna sound weird, a podcast where... Me and Taylor make small talk for a few minutes and then talk about horrible, <laughs> horrible murders. That was like, that was a very concise way to describe this. It's like, <laughs> you are going to listen and we are going to create small talk for it, a maximum of five minutes, no less than three. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to break the ice with a little bit of light chit chat and then before I just push it right into the pool of homicide. <laughs> yes. Yes. Today we are doing homicide. Uh my name is Sydney. My name is Taylor. And this is the show. This is the show. We're in a new location today. Sydney has gotten a new apartment. Got a new apartment. I'm not really sure what the vibes are yet. There, There's no vibes. It's fairly new construction. So, you know, there's the, it's just all the apartments look the same. Um, I do have a nice little courtyard that I can look out upon, but that's about it. Uh, and uh, we've still got boxes of things. So, the vibes are... None. none. Negative. It's like when you watch HGTV and they take a beautiful historic home and they're like, Ruin it. Fuck it. Granite countertops, laminate throughout. They're like, anything that could have made this even a little bit good and quirky, take it out. No basic bitch wants this. (laughs) A white white mom? She would never. She would never. If it's not an open concept kitchen, I cannot be expected to cook in it. Well, the vibes in my house were off last night. Brandon was scaring me because, I don't know, if any of y'all have watched that, um, I think it's American Murder, the mm-hmm. Chris Watts documentary. Mm-hmm. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. But there are, like, all these conspiracy theories about it now. Oh, yeah, I keep seeing That there's, like, ghosts. Like, yeah. So when I, like, went to bed, Brandon was still awake, which he wasn't supposed to be because it was past his bedtime. He goes to bed at, like, 9, and it was, like, 11. And he was still awake, and I was already creeped out because I was doing my story for today. And then he was like, have you seen this? And he showed me this really creepy video, and I told him I was scared. And then he kept screaming and then making me get scared. And then had the had the audacity to ask me to get out of the bed to go check to see if the air conditioning was on. Which I said, hell no. We'll just fry in this bitch. And so I had to watch ASMR to go to sleep because he kept scaring me. <laughs> I enjoy the ASMR with the lady has the really long fingernails. Yeah. And she's just clicking away on, like, some keys. That's kind of what she does, and she does a little bit of whispering. I also just think it's her voice. Because some of them freak me out. They'll be like, 
now I'm gonna touch your face. No, nope, and they'll like put that. their fingers in the camera, and I'm like, Ugh. no. I enjoy that, and I enjoy the the look where they cut the soap. Yeah, yeah, it's like. Tick, 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 tick. Well, if it's good ASMR, it put me right to sleep. It put me to sleep last night. I normally put on a sleep like sleep music on Spotify and set a thirty minute timer and see if that don't do the trick. Damn. But. Uh, should we get into the stories? Yeah. Did we tell them what this week was? No. We, well, we did last week. That's why you have to listen. So we're not going to tell you this week. <laughs> Ooh, you'd be surprised. Um, so this week's theme is what got you interested in true crime? Um, so I'm going to let you start since I went first last week. And then you tell me how you interpreted this theme and then tell me your story. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you the story of... Um, the first time I committed my first crime. Oh my God. <laughs> That's how I interpret The police will be on their way the second <laughs> we drop this episode. You got a week's time. Okay, so actually how I interpreted it, so I cannot remember what my first like case where I was like, I like true crime because my mom's always watching Dateline. Mm-hmm. And it was just a bunch of, if you watch Dateline, it's really just a bunch of sad families who a family member has died and then they gotta figure out who it was i feel like dateline has a very like the patterns usually pretty similar yes it's always a woman marries man man kills her yeah pretty much man marries woman woman kills him yeah that's about it or business partner kills business partner i'm listening if you if you like dateline you know they're they put the audio in a podcast form now anyways so, I can't remember my first one, but I am doing it on the very first ever true crime podcast episode I listened to. Dun, dun, dun. This was when I first started listening to podcasts. I was in college, had a long drive to and from my hometown, and I was tired of listening to music. So, I decided to try out this, this little podcast called True Crime Garage. Wow. <laughs> so, anyways. So, this was... My first podcast episode, so that's, you know, got me into this here genre. So, I'm doing mine on the murder of Jeanette De Palma, which a lot of people have probably never heard of, um, unless you're, like, from New Jersey. So, my main source... We are not, if you can't tell by the accent. Can you not? <laughs> so, my main source is True Crime Garage. They do a four-parter on her story, and... If you haven't listened, their episodes are like an hour piece. So that's about four hours worth. I will not have, I will not be going into depth that much. Thank God. Um, I also use Wikipedia, weirdnj.com, and mycentralnewjersey.com. Okay, so here we go. On the afternoon of August 7th, 1972, 16-year-old Jeanette De Palma left her house on Clearview Road in Springfield, New Jersey to go visit a friend. Her plan was that she was gonna, she told her mother, um, and I think her sister, that she was gonna walk to the train station, which was about three miles away, and apparently her mom was like, hey, I'll drive you, but she was like, no, it's a nice day, like, I wanna walk. It ain't never a nice enough day for me to walk three miles to get somewhere. I'll be too sweaty. Yeah. Mm -mm. And so she was going to go to the train station and take the train to her friend's house. And I think her friend's house was like eight miles away or something. Oh, she's going to take the train. Yeah. I was like, what? (laughs) However, she never arrived at her friend's house, nor did she arrive home later that night. And at that point, her parents notified the, the police. They're like, you know, my daughter hasn't made it home. But at this time, a missing person 
could not be considered missing. So I think it was like teenagers and like adults, not like a small child, until at least 24 hours had passed because they had assumed that she had just run away from home, which as we know now, those first hours are very crucial. Yes. Um, and in this case, the assumption that she had run away from home, though, wasn't really all that weird because her cousin had been known to run away from home, like, all the time. And she would always come back. So they were like, okay, they're teenagers. They're probably just, you know, what doing whatever. But on this day, it was weird because Jeanette's cousin had been missing from home for quite some time. And since it was pretty common, the family wasn't, they were kind of worried, but they weren't overly worried because they were like, she does this. But apparently when Jeanette's mom told her that earlier the mo- that morning, Jeanette got mad. It was like, why haven't you told me this? And so her and her mom got in a fight over that in the morning um, that she went missing. And it was also said they probably got in a few more fights that same day. And so I think that also led to the fact that they were like, she's somewhere trying to cool off. That's why she's not coming back home. And so based on all this, uh, the police and her parents thought it was really likely that she had just run away from home. And she, she didn't come back. So after a day had passed, she still wasn't home. And the parents filed an official report with the police. Um, however, the report, I don't know. There's, there is like, some people say that the parents filed it as a runaway instead of a missing person. And then some people say the police actually filed it as a runaway. Mm. But she wasn't filed as a missing person. She was, the report was as a runaway. And the difference really is that when they're turned to run away, the investigation to actually find them is, like, not all that much. It's pretty much just they tell, like, the beat cops to, like, keep an eye on in case you see her. Mm-hmm. So, mm. But Jeanette did not return home, as the family had hoped. And six weeks had passed. And six weeks later, her remains were found on top of a cliff inside of Springfield's, I should have looked up how to say this, Hoodal, I don't know how to say it, quarry, it was in a quarry, um, and people in the town nicknamed this cliff, like, the devil's teeth or the devil's skull, and it was like kids in the town had named it that, because I guess once they went in there and started, like, blowing out the quarry stuff, it kind of, if you look it up, it's kind of, like, jagged, anyways, it's got an ominous name. And her body was discovered there after an arm had been found by some residents of an apartment complex nearby. Um, And the police were called. And when the police got there, they were like, this may be the arm of Jeanette because she was the only missing person in the area at the time. And it's believed that the severed arm had been taken to the complex by a dog that lived there. So it was like a, a person that was walking a little dog oh, God. found the arm. And then they were like, well, what the heck? But it turns out there was a lady that lived there who had like a Dalmatian that she would just let like run all over the place. And they're pretty sure that he brought the arm back oh. to the apartment complex. Oh, God. And at first I thought it was a joke because apparently there were some kids that lived at that apartment complex that like would play pranks on the lady who, like, ran it. And so when the police went out there, they were like, just another call for some kids pulling a prank. No, it was an arm. A real-ass arm. Yikes. Um, And so when they found her body, it was very badly decomposed. And they assumed that it was her, but they couldn't say for sure. Because, like, her... They said that her clothes had become, like, part of her body. 
<gasps> like they had like meshed together. Oh god. It was bad. And it said that her body was also surrounded by various objects in an odd shape. Um, that some later end up attributing to being some occult objects. But I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to that part later. Um, and the place where her body was found on these like devil's teeth or whatever, which this is actually the reason that I listened to the True Crime Garage episode is because it was named the Devil's Teeth. Mm-hmm. Didn't really know what that meant. I was like, this sounds kind of sounds kind of funky. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's interesting. <laughs> Uh, we have, like, the Devil's Tramping Ground yeah. in North Carolina. And I think it might be South Carolina somewhere in the world. There mm-hmm. is, um, it's like the Devil's Foot. <laughs> i never heard of that one. Yeah, it's like the Devil's Foot. Uh, and then I think there's supposed to be another area in the United States that's supposed to have, like, another piece of, piece of the devil. devil. So I just think it's interesting anytime people are like, oh, it's the Devil's something. Yeah, because this place, it said that, like, it started getting nicknamed that by, like, some kids in the town starting in, like, the 20s, and then I guess they just kind of... Stuck with it. Stuck with it. Um, and so the place where the body was found, it was really difficult to get to because one side was, it was a really, really steep hill, and the other side was a cliff. And so even when the police were trying to, like, get up the hill, like, some of them couldn't even make it up the hill, and most of them were, like, slipping and, like, falling down the hill. So... And to get her body out of the area, they had to bring in a fire truck and lift the body out through the cliff side. The cliff side, so that I guess they took like the the arm of the fire truck, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, and put it up there, um, and had to take her out that way because they couldn't get anything up the steep hill. Which, so this location is clearly very difficult to get to, which made this case really confusing, even like right from the start, because they're like. How did she get up here? Like, who brought her here? Yeah, and who was able, if was she brought up there like before she was killed? Yeah, or like the the idea that someone would be able to carry a body up there, mm-hmm. like it's, if police officers are not even able to walk up themselves. Yeah, you would think that would be difficult. So after finding the body, like I said, they assumed it was Jeanette. But they had to confirm. So they had to look at her dental record to confirm the identity because the body was so, like, you know, decomposed. Um, And the dental record confirmed that it was, in fact, her. Um, And so they also did an autopsy on the body to see how she died. But the autopsy did not reveal a cause of death, most likely because anything that would have been there that would have shown it was kind of gone at that point. And her remains nor her clothing showed any signs of, like, bone fractures or bullet wounds or knife strikes. And some some thought, okay, well, maybe they looked into the fact that maybe it was an overdose. Like, maybe she'd gone up there herself mm-hmm. and were, like, doing some drugs and maybe it was an overdose. But there was no, like, nothing around her that would say that it was an overdose. Like, no drug paraphernalia, anything like that. And they even found her purse near her and there's nothing in her purse. And I mean, if it wasn't overdose at this point, I doubt there would be like anything in your body. Like yeah, I don't think there would be drugs detectable. Six weeks, like over six weeks. Yeah, I feel like anything would have just. They said there was like a high level of lead in her body, but they attributed that in True Crime Garage to that like the place where she was found. They used to dump like paint and stuff. Oh. So that was like a quarry, so they thought it was like lead paint and so since she was in like a almost like an industrial zone, it was just like 
since she had been laying, almost becoming part of the ground at that point. It was that. They also, I don't think what they found would have been, like, deadly either. Like, mm. lead poisoning. I feel like you can't really just die from that, like, on a random day. <laughs> you think, definitely can die from I'm that, gonna... <laughs> I'm sure. But you know what I mean? Like, she wasn't, like, sick or anything. Not, I think it's typically when people die from lead poisoning it's like they've been exposed to it for like, like they worked you know, with yeah with it or like you live somewhere with like lead paint and you're constantly exposed to it um but i i don't know who knows i don't Unless, really know what lead paint is i used to think that latex paint and lead paint was the same thing they are not <laughs> when i was little at our school so hmm, i went to a real small charter school and when we um when they finally built like an elementary school for us to go to it was in this like old ass like elementary school from like way back in the day so they were really um on the cheap and they put in what i thought was lead paint turns out it was latex paint and so it was that kind you could kind of pick at it and oh, it would be yeah. kind of stretchy so we started ripping that paint <laughs> off the walls in the bathroom <laughs> we got in trouble they made us fifth graders sit in lines in the morning um to shame us for what we had done while all the third and fourth graders and kindergartners made fun of us. <laughs> so we had to sit in silence in rows, like in the middle of the gym, and everybody else got to sit on the side and talk. Don't pick latex paint, kids. <laughs> I'm like, why would y'all do but that? sometimes, like, that's like, like when you are in the dorms yeah. in college, they love to slap that latex paint on over the cinder blocks. And, yes. you know, after about, like, the hundredth layer, it does start peeling off. You just cannot resist. Well, it's so stretchy. I hope they don't make you go sit in the middle of like the commons my <laughs> and RA shame did, you. My RA did not make me do that. But yeah. So, anyways, lead paint, and latex paint, not the same thing. Turns out. Okay, so since they couldn't like it wasn't like a bullet wound, they couldn't tell like a for sure like cause of death. The coroner suspected that strangu- strangulation was likely the cause of death there was no other evidence and so in my mind but i guess it wasn't enough to like break anything it would have just been which almost i would think a strangulation but more like asphyxiation is that how you see it asphyxiation you know what i'm saying asphyxiation <laughs> i said it and i'm like i don't think that's right but what my thing was it maybe whoever did it didn't do it enough to cause like breaking but it was bruising and since there was like pretty much no skin and the bruising would not like have been there at that point i wonder like if they like took something and like smothered her yeah um like if you're using like a pillow it probably wouldn't i mean it might break her nose but i mean it might not yeah so who knows um and early on in the investigation the police department received a tip about a homeless man who lived in the woods near the place where she was found um, and local knew, locals knew him just by the name of Red. It was said that shortly after she went missing, that Red fled his campsite, which was obviously suspicious. And at first, the lead... if I'm camping <laughs> and I see any sort of suspicious activity, I would have bounced as well. See? So at first, the lead seemed pretty promising, but it was actually unclear as to when he actually left. And it may have been possible that, like, he left after they found her body. And so he got scared because, you know, he thought, like, there's a murderer on the loose in my woods. <laughs> like, get the fuck up out of here. Um, also, though, when he says homeless man, like, I think most people would picture somebody who, like, you know, he'd, like, like, if you picture a homeless man in the 70s, 
maybe people are like, oh, he's sketchy and you don't know what he's up to. He's just living out there. But it was said that he came from like money, like mm-hmm. his family had money. And it said like he was homeless, but was he homeless it, it was by like choice? by choice almost because he was kind of a hippie. Well, so I was going to say uh, in my small hometown of Carolina Beach, North Carolina. Yes. Uh, well, technically, I guess the story comes from Fort Fisher, which like you know the area it's um like my hometown is like on an island but on that island there's three towns um but the whole bitch is only like seven miles true um so (laughs) fort fisher has uh the story of the hermit yes i used to love my dad would talk about him (laughs) um so the hermit was uh, a man who chose to be homeless by choice and he lived like in the marshes of fort fisher um but like people would go and visit him like yes. on vacation like my dad told me um that that was like a thing that they did because they would go to the area and they would like go and fish and play on the beach and then they would go and visit the hermit stare at the hermit and they would <laughs> they would go and visit the hermit and they would bring him like food and stuff and you know my dad talks about it like it was just the, the best of times and i'm like that doesn't sound like my ideal vacation at all because at all y'all could have gone to disney world y'all could have gone to uh tweetsie railroad in the mountains and that would have like don't go to tweetsie railroad <laughs> y'all out here going to visit the hermit the hermit and it was very sad um that someone did kill him yeah, someone ended I think up... I, actually, I think I knew that. Someone killed the hermit for his... He had, like, a small pot of money because people would, like, donate money to yeah. him. And so they killed him for, what, the 20 bucks that he had? Were they also... Homeless? homeless? Yes. Because I was getting ready to say, I mean... Also, if I'm homeless, am I going to kill another homeless man for his small pot of money? Probably not. Um, I'm probably just going to rob someone, right? I don't know. Maybe he had beef with the hermit. And that was, he said he wanted he probably, 20 bucks. He was probably jealous because the hermit was, <laughs> was famous. So famous. He was so famous. He was a tourist attraction. Um, but yeah, there's he was a like, do- here I am homeless out here, but not here with his son. There's a documentary on the hermit that they play like every year in my hometown because we do like, yes. like outdoor movies during the summer and every year they watch it people watch it and i just i, I don't understand i it. think i've watched it because you know my dad's into that weird stuff and you know my family that's where we vacation is carolina beach mm-hmm. and so i definitely knew of the hermit because my dad just loved to talk about the, similar to your dad he loved the hermit just like your father he probably went there and he probably, they probably did. you know what they probably were there at the same time <laughs> they may have been so talk about li- cars together <laughs> our lives have just been <laughs> the shit's passing in the night our whole lives <laughs> Oh, so. You know. so anyways, Red, as I was talking, he had like a job. He would like go and be a caddy at a nearby golf course. So he's homeless, but he wasn't like, I mean, he's going and caddying at a nice golf course, you, mm-hmm. you know, which I don't mean he can't murder somebody, but I feel like when you say homeless person, it's just not There's what exactly. Negative, your, yeah. It's a negative connotation. Um, But ultimately the Union County Prosecutor's Office decided that Red did not have anything to do with her death. They either cleared him or they just didn't have enough evidence to convict him. And so, so they tracked him down and did everything. Like, they found him. And they pretty much were like, okay, we don't think he did this. Which also, I'm like, yeah, he probably didn't. Because I'm like, just because her body was found near his campsite, like, that would have, like, I don't think she would have ventured up there, like, by herself just for no reason. Right? 
Like, why would she have walked up to this weird place and then Red's like, oh, somebody's up here. I'm going to kill him. And I don't know if he would venture out just to kill people. Especially no. if that was, like, his one and done. I don't think it was Red, okay? Nobody thinks it's Red. Even the, pol- even the police don't think it's Red. <laughs> Can you just get his name out of your mouth? <laughs> Free my man Red. He didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, okay. And there also have been rumors um, and some evidence that she may have actually died from an overdose, even though they didn't find anything, like, near her body. This theory is kind of controversial, though, which all of the theories about her death are controversial. Uh, some people that went to school with her say that on the afternoon slash night that she went missing, she so she was supposed to go to her friend's house, mm-hmm. but it was, like, a close friend. They were supposed to, like, hang out with, like, some boys, you know? Mm-hmm. And But it wasn't, like, a party. But some people say that she actually did go to a party where there were, like, drugs. And the rumor is that she was doing drugs while at the party and overdosed. And people at the party freaked out and then took her body to where it was eventually found. Um... Which I find odd, because I'm like, if that did happen and they were scared, why would you take her up there? And also, my whole thing is, the weird thing to me is, like, they didn't try to conceal her body at all. Like, nobody tried to, like, bury it or anything. I got an issue with this theory, because I know no teenager can keep a secret. Somebody at that party would have blabbed. Well, but see, some people, which is what they said in True Crime Garage, but now people were, like, people that were at the party are saying this. Like, the, they learned this from people who said they were at the party, but I guess there's just nothing... So why why admit it? Well, see, I don't know. I don't know if it was the people... I have no idea. So the, these people maybe were like, oh, yeah, she... I saw her get carted off and I didn't do anything? Kind That's of. And our, I think it may be people that are like, I heard so-and-so said this happened. Mm. And then maybe they went and talked to so-and-so, and so-and-so was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they just, like, don't have enough evidence. Mm. Because some people say that there was no party that night and that many, but many people still believe this is what happened. Like some people are like, this is what happened. Like I saw, I saw her like there, she was drunk or like on drugs. Um, and then this also leans into like on True Crime Garage, they did a lot of different talk about like what kind of person Jeanette was to like kind of figure out like who she would hang out with and stuff like that. And so this is weird. A lot of people say she's a really good gal really religious, really involved in church. Like, apparently her family's really religious. Um, she was also said to be some sort of counselor slash mentor for other teens who have problems with drugs. And so to those people, they're like, there's no way that she would have died from overdose because she would never do drugs or she would never even be at a party. But then other people would say that she was more of an adventurous and wild person that did do drugs and that did go to parties and were was frequently seen at lovers lanes you know smooching the boys and some even say that she was not a christian and that she actually dabbled in witchcraft (laughs) and the weird thing this is really taking a turn and the weird thing about this is that her like pretty much true crime garage they do a very good like in-depth look her parents like can't confirm almost anything about her Or, like, because, like, they never were, because they never came out and were, like, her parents said this about her and this is exactly, like, what kind of person she was. All these rumors are not true. There's just, like, no definite statements. Like, nobody can come, like, literally, they can't come up with a consensus, apparently, which also, I don't want to, like, throw parents under the bus because your parents could think you're a good, 
wholesome gal when in the back end you're out partying and doing drugs. Like, you can be both. Yeah, I also wonder, because this was in the 70s, right? Yes. I feel like in the 70s, you just sort of let your kid just do whatever. Yeah. Um, you, Your kids do whatever, you know what I mean? They mm-hmm. raise themselves because you were working. Yeah. So I feel like... It doesn't seem uncommon that parents wouldn't. But it's odd that her parents didn't go out and say anything. Apparently her parents were pretty, like, private. But her parents were also really religious. And then, so, they were an Italian family. And so, some people are even like, maybe she got killed by the mafia. But that that theory didn't really hold too I much like weight. I feel like if she got killed by just, the mafia, they would have never found her body. No, I don't think they would have been that sloppy. And also, there was nothing to confirm it. But apparently, the town kind of thought her family was a little odd. And the police sometimes would have to get called out to her house over, like, domestic disputes. But, like, every time the police got there, they would be like, oh, we solved it. You can go. So it's just, like, kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously these mixed accounts of her character and how her family was made it really difficult to determine if the overdose theory had any weight. And I was like, I think it's a stretch because it's a really difficult location. Um, it would be unlikely for people at a party to drag her there because I assume they're also on drugs. And I was like, even if they did, like, take her somewhere, I think they would try to bury her or take her, I don't know. And wouldn't they just throw her off the cliff yeah. in the quarry? And then some say that, okay, well, maybe she left the party on her own. And she was she was drunk, and then she, you know, just died from the elements. And I'm like, how the heck are you supposed to get to that place? Like, how could she get to that place with, like, drunk? I can barely, you I can know, barely call it Uber. Honestly, I can barely walk into my bedroom or to the bathroom a step give me a step i'm out okay <laughs> one time i just fell all the way up just dang steps my knees were busted wake up the next morning and i told i asked brandon i said what the heck is this why are my knees like busted he's like you don't remember like falling up all the stairs i was like mm, no nah, i do because my knees hurt <laughs> okay and so this theory, okay, I don't know if you've realized at this point, but this case is unsolved. Oh, my God. With, with compelling evidence <laughs> and theories such as these, I am just shocked. Okay, so now this theory of her death is really what's made this case, like, stick in, like stick around and be, like, on the radar for a lot of people. It's, mm-hmm. like, sensationalized it. Um, so people think she was killed in some sort of ritual witch cult activity like satanists um so they thought the murder could be a cult activity at first because um of what was found around her body so it's reported that her remains were surrounded by possible occult objects her body was said to be inside of a makeshift coffin which was composed of branches logs and several small wooden crosses made from sticks and it was said that there was rocks placed around her head in sort of like a semicircle, mm-hmm. which some say kind of look like a halo. However, accounts are varied on to what was actually there. Some say that it really was just some sticks laying around her body. Like, that there was nothing there. Like the So po- there's no, like, pictures of this? No. Like, they have diagrams online. Like, if you look it up, there's, like, people have laid out, like, a diagram But, like, the police said they didn't see all this stuff necessarily, and then people went back to the scene afterwards, and were like, no, this is what, because the police didn't disturb the scene, and then some people were like, it just looks like a coffin, and there's crosses, so, um, but 
then so in the true crime garage they talked to an author of the book titled death on the devil's teeth and they this person like wrote a book all about this case and he says that if the coffin shape it was actually there that they were talking to somebody during the course of their research that said that the coffin was actually not a coffin it would be a trapezoid shape based on like the diagrams that they've kind of done mm-hmm. and apparently a trapezoid is a very prominent shape in satanism which is considered to be a portal into the afterlife however a college professor at the college of charleston said that all these objects that were found if true did not denote anything that was satanic or pagan well objects because they were like a they weren't um like a christian christianity professor they did like history of like paganism and stuff Mm -hmm. but they said it would most likely be christian symbols and so that maybe if those things were there she wasn't killed by somebody who's doing like witchcraft cult activities but it was really a killer who had some odd christianity religious fixation Mm -hmm. and along with and people also heightened up this whole it was a cult this was satanist because apparently um at the time like, in near the town, there have been a lot of, like, animal sacrifices. And so people were like, it's the devil! And also, the magazine, Weird NJ Magazine, they published, like, at the time of her death. And they now admit that at the time of the publication, they really didn't know much about the case at all. They published all of this stuff relating it to, like, Satanism. And so when people read it, they were like, oh, my God, it's happening here. And so they pretty much sensationalized, like, the whole thing. Because if you go on their website now, they're kind of like, yeah, we didn't really know. We're sorry about We're it. We're sorry. But people at the time, it was like the rise of the satanic panic. Mm-hmm. And so any type of mention of witchcraft or occult activity, people were freaking out. Apparently, even now in the town, like, some of, like, the older people, when they talk to them, like, they're scared to even talk about the case. Because people still think it was, like, some cult that did this to her. Or, like, Satanists. Which, Satanists don't actually worship Satan, I do not think. Like, the actual religion of Satanism. Yeah, it's, it's a little I more, don't know if they even call it a religion. It's a little but, more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, I don't know a lot about it. I'm not going to pretend I do I know either, a lot about but it. But when I say it, I'm not trying to say it in a negative connotation. But these people were these saying it. These people were saying it in a negative connotation. <laughs> so, I'm just saying what they said. <laughs> so, don't fight me. Fight them. Um, and so, now looking back on the case, it is very unlikely that it was a cult activity. Which, when I, when I first looked into the case, that was originally what caught my eye. Which, I guess, is why it got so big and, like, blown out of proportion. Because that's what caught everybody's eye. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of sad because now I'm like, that probably derailed a, a lot of it. To where they wasted a lot of time for nothing. This is probably true. Which, to me, I'm just like, well, what if it was somebody who maybe did all this shit... To make it seem like it was a cult to get them off yeah. the trail. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah, and I think the whole satanic panic really just made them freak out. And apparently she would always wear like a cross necklace or something and it was missing. It was a whole bunch of little shit that was like, mm, probably not. Listen, it's like in high school I had a hair tie wrapped around my wrist every <laughs> damn day. The one day I don't wear it... What could it mean? What could it mean? Yeah. And so, at this point, 
the most likely theory that I think, and True Crime Garage kind of landed on this too, is that she was murdered probably by someone she knew. And she may have taken a ride from them the day she disappeared because, you know, she was walking like three miles to the train. Because it said that she would hitchhike sometimes, but she would only get in the car with people she knew or people that, like, she thought maybe goes to her high school or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the day she went missing, it's probably likely that she got into a car with a person that she knew and that they probably somehow got her to go up to the devil's teeth. I almost picture it as in, like, you get in the car with, like, a boy and they're like, hey, you want to go to this, like, fun spot? Mm -hmm. And then they killed her up there. Because, like I said, it would be really difficult to get her body up there. Yeah, maybe it's like a cute boy, and he's like, you want to go to Lover's Lane, and he yeah. takes her there. And I think that's probably the most likely thing, but nobody saw her get into a car that day. There really aren't many sightings of her that day, like, after she left her house. So, she could have also gotten picked up, like, she, she probably, she could have started walking and then been like, oh, this was dumb. And then <laughs> just got into, like, a car with somebody and was like, you know. I'm a little tired. So, there are so many unanswered questions in this case. And uh, clearly, a lot of theories. And I did not even go into, like, as many. Like, there's even the List murders. You know, John List, who murdered his family in New Jersey. Yes. They even, True Crime Garage says that even people think that has something to do with it. Which doesn't, didn't really make any sense to me. The only thing that even kind of related was that, like... The List daughter may have been into witchcraft, and Jeanette may have been into witchcraft. And I'm like, well, I'm a little bit into witchcraft. <laughs> so. like, I've read the Harry Potter books. Exactly. God. That's what they were saying. They were like, well, she had books in her house. And I was like, well, okay. That doesn't mean anything. I have books about, like, murders in my house. I'm not a murderer. It's, this is true. That I know of. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, the fact that she was missing for so long, her body was so badly decomposed, it made it really difficult for any definite answers, like, to be known about any part of this case. Um, and along with this, it's even more difficult now to solve the case because, uh, her files, all of her files were destroyed in flooding caused by Hurricane Floyd in 1999. Some believe that this is suspicious, though, and some people think that there's actually a copy still on file, but nothing's known for certain, and officially the file's been lost. But people think that it may have been destroyed on purpose, and the most recent update that I could find is that in 2019, a private investigator who was looking into the case, um, and I think that, I mean, they probably still are, they asked the Union County Prosecutor's Office to do a DNA test on Jeanette's clothes because apparently they still have the clothes. However, the judge would not grant the DNA test because Salzano, um, which was the guy who is like the private investigator, he has no legal relationship to her and he like doesn't have a relationship with anyone who would have a stake in the outcome of the case. Which I'm like, if she has clothes Why and you can do a test DNA them? test. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, maybe he, like, legally he may not be able to request a DNA test because he's a private investigator. But I'm like, why has the police department not done it? Why has her family not requested, like, a DNA? Like, if I was her family and I knew that, like, which, I mean, maybe they have, but I, I mean, I assume they haven't. Yeah, it's always interesting when... I don't know when, if her, like, parents are still alive. Probably, maybe always, not. It's always interesting when, like, victims' families don't do everything they can. Because I, like, I just literally think, like, 
if someone in my family went missing or was murdered, I the police department, they'd be sick of looking at me. I'd be up in that bitch. I'd be up in that bitch every day raising hell. They they'd test everything. I would sue everyone involved. Like even if they didn't find the killer, they would find something. I know, and it's odd that like the whole time, like even while she was missing, she was still just reported as a runaway, even knowing that like if you're a runaway, they're not really looking for you. Really. Yeah. So, I don't know. That was very odd. And apparently when she was found dead, like, they said her mom made kind of an odd comment. Like, I had already, like, felt this in my heart, basically. Which, I mean, if you're really religious, then that's something that you might say. But, anyways. So, Salzano begged for the test to be done and for the prosecutor's office to reopen the case so that the public can come forward with information um, he says that he's interviewed people in the town and that some people seem to know what happened but are too afraid to come forward. And while Salzano said he begged them to reopen the case, the prosecutor's office says that the case remains open and it has never actually been closed. Well, if, the, if it remains open, then test the shit. I know. And they said that anyone with information is urged to contact them with information. Now, they had a name and a number, but I feel weird about sharing that on the internet. So, mm-hmm. if you look it up on the My Central, like, New Jersey website, it'll be there. But I just didn't feel comfortable sharing the information. Um, so, this 40-year-old, this now the murder is 48 years old, and it's still unsolved, and it is still a huge mystery. And there's no file for, like, anything that was already done is lost. <sighs> so, that was a terrible story. Just another case where terrible police work in the 70s yes. is very apparent. And I think it was bad, but also I'm like... It just doesn't even seem like anybody was trying that hard. And they just got stuck on this weird devil theory. And I'm like, stop it. Just stop it and just do something that makes sense. And it's interesting that it was like they really went with the devil theory. Because in my head, I'm like, that seems like something that Southern people would. Because we're in the Bible Belt. that yeah. They'd be like, oh my God, it's the devil. So I just think it's interesting that they got so caught up in that. I also think, well, I guess they parents were of, apparently, like, very Catholic. Yeah, I was going to say, they have a lot of Catholics up there. And so, I don't know. This one kind of pissed me off, because when I listen to the True Crime Garage over again, I haven't listened to it in probably, like, four years now. And I was like, why? Like, this, like, not saying it should have been, like, solved, like, that easy, but I'm like, you could have found her body before six weeks, yeah. which could have changed the course of this whole thing. But no, we weren't really looking for her. Also, I'm like, if I was her mama, if I had a kid who went missing, even for just a couple hours, I'd be out in them streets yelling, just yelling their name. No you way. saw me chasing Brandon down the street <laughs> in uh, downtown Raleigh. Yeah, one time, Taylor. He's a full-ass adult. She couldn't find Brandon because his phone died. And she was just running up and down the street screaming, Brandon! Brandon! He needed my help. He did not. He was in a bar charging his phone. I ended up needing his help because I got lost. <laughs> Lord. Yeah. Well, that was a story that you told. Yes, it was. It was bad. But if you're interested and you want to hear a really good account, listen to True Crime Garage. So, for my story, I am doing it on Joseph James D'Angelo Jr., a.k.a. the Golden State Killer. 
aka the East Area Rapist, aka the original Night Stalker. Never heard of him. <laughs> uh, he has many names. Um, he was also briefly named the Diamond Knot Killer. Didn't stick. Okay, I've actually never heard of that one. <laughs> um, my sources, I went with Wikipedia, Merck on YouTube, and an episode of Cold Case Files entitled The Original Night Stalker. Um, so, the first time I ever heard this story, I was probably way too young. Um, like your mom, my dad used to always fall asleep on the couch watching, like, Dateline, Snapped, Forensic Files, Cold Case Files. Pretty much, he still does this to this day. He will put the TV on, like, after dinner, and he will just fall asleep immediately. (laughs) Like, it'll be, like, 8.45. He's like, Um, so, like, my whole life, we have just left the TV on once he's fallen asleep. Because, I swear, if you change the channel, if you you turn it (laughs) off, you turn the volume down, he's like, I was watching that. (laughs) Like, you were not. You've been asleep for an hour. So, one night, my dad was watching, I believe it was Cold Case Files, um... But it could have also just been, like, a documentary on the Golden State Killer. Um, But whatever show it was, uh, I I started watching it, like, over the couch. Like, I had crouched behind the couch (laughs) and started watching it. And I was like, oh, my God. This is amazing. This is amazing. (laughs) So, naturally, um, I sat there and watched the whole thing. Now, bear in mind, this was the early 2000s. So... Uh, I'm going to tell you the story as it was told to me at the time via the documentary, and then I'll come back in with some more updated information. You're just not going to leave it at that early 2000s? Yeah, I'm just going to I don't think it. anything's happened recently with that yeah, case, no, actually. It's completely <laughs> just cold. No. Definitely no new information. None at all. Uh, so let me preface this. Not all the victims' names are available, so I may not be able to give you names. Uh, I don't want to get hate for that. Well, um, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of victims, so... There is a lot of victims. Some may not even want to be, like, public. Yes, I don't think a lot of the names were... For the the early victims, I don't think they were given out mm-hmm. to sort... Because those victims lived. And yeah. they didn't want them to have to yeah. deal with that. So, Sacramento County, June 18th, 1976. A woman wakes up in the night to a man standing over her. The man was wearing a black ski mask and a blue t-shirt... He put a knife to her throat, bound her hands with a cord of a hairdryer, and proceeded to rape her. Now, this crime, sort of crime would be repeated many times uh, in the upcoming years, and each time the perpetrator would break into a woman's room, tie her hands together, and sexually assault her. So it started off kind of like gradual. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe one of these cases a month. So I don't think the police quite knew they were dealing with a serial rapist because, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, it's kind of odd, but you're like, it's a burglary. You know, like, literally, it started off as one a month. Hmm. Uh, and then, starting in October, they, were, they just became closer and closer together. They would happen all in relatively the same area, but the attacks would grow closer and closer together. Some of them would happen in the same week. In one case, it happened in the same night. Oh, one attack happening, like, earlier in the night, and then one happening, like, in the early morning Mm. 
And as this continued, his choice of victim shifted. Initially, the, uh, the serial rapist was targeting single women who lived alone. However, as things progressed, he started to attack couples. He would break into their home, tie up the man, and assault the woman. And as these rapes continued, the assailant would plan his attacks more and more. He would break into the home, like, days before or, like, the day of, like, while the homeowners were away. And he would, like, leave a a window cracked or leave a window. He would identify a point where he could, like, let himself in later. And he, in some cases, if the family had, like, a gun or, Mm -hmm. especially, like, if you're a woman, you might have something next to your bed. So he would hide it or he would, like, there was a gun he'd remove the bullets so that if you did try to reach for that there there'd be nothing there or you it would be useless to you gotta get a guard dog wow so he would park his car further down the street so that no one could report his tags Uh, but he also got cocky and very Mm. arrogant and he would call homeowners either before the attack or after the attacks uh, and he would leave eerie calls. There's actually a recording of one of them, and it's really creepy. It's basically he, this it was before this woman was attacked. Mm-hmm. She answers the phone, and it's just like heavy breathing, no. and him saying he's going to kill her over and over again, um, which I would have never come back i'm gonna say you wouldn't catch my ass at that house anymore i'd be out i'd be like well goodbye time to leave i just flee the whole state of california yeah i probably would have set the house on fire claimed the insurance money (laughs) and promptly left they'd be like where'd sydney go up she just decided to switch things up (laughs) um by the end of 1977 nearly 30 women had been attacked and the area was on red alert police by this time had a good description of the attacker because several of the victims were able to give descriptions. Mm. So they had several sketches drawn up. Um, All the victims described their attacker as being athletic with uh, like a sort of like shaggy blonde hair. Mm -hmm. Which I'm like, God, that's not helpful. California in the (laughs) 70s? Oh. Very descriptive. Was it a member of the Beach Boys? (laughs) But the East Area Rapist did come close to being caught once. Someone in the neighborhood saw a prowler and decided to tail him. But the assailant shot the man in the stomach in order to get away. Mm. And that was pretty much the closest they had gotten to, like, actually catching him. Now, up until this point, the East Area Rapist had only ever raped his victims. Uh, This was until early 1978 when a young couple named katie and brian maggio um were they were walking their dog one early morning when they were approached by a man in a mask uh and they attempted to flee the area but were both shot and killed Mm -hmm. now at this time it was not confirmed that these murders were connected to the east area rapist case even though they did occur in the same area yeah well i mean also that just is completely different Mm -hmm. than anything that had already happened but many investigators believed that it was because the murders took place in the same area that they were connected mm-hmm. um but they they really didn't have any much more to go off of well so, at least they thought they were connected because i feel like a lot of times back in the day they were like 
ah, they got nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Even if it's like all these people have been killed in the exact same manner at the exact same time of so, day, they'd be like, well, who let's could it not be? assume anything. Who could it be? God, <laughs> who could well, it be? Let's not assume anything. Yeah, so they did think that it was confer- like connected, but they just had nothing to confirm it. Mm. Um, and the connection would not be confirmed until 2016 when the FBI made the confirmation. Spoiler alert. Quite some time. <laughs> um, with this in mind, the rapes continued, and by July of 1979, the East Area Rapists had claimed 50 victims in the Sacramento and surrounding areas, but following an attack on July 5th, the rapes stopped. Hmm. Which, you're like, well, That's good. That's good. I guess. But, yeah, I mean, that's good. Uh, I feel like it's not going to stop there, though. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to, well, let's just get into it. But in October of 1979, a couple is attacked in their home located in the Santa Barbara area. No, which, if you don't I know, do not know. They're, they're different areas. They got Sacramento, which uh, is a little bit more up at the top. And I believe Santa Barbara is a little bit further down south, closer to, like, L.A. Okay. I'm not, I'm from North Carolina. I have no idea. No, I don't really look at a I've map heard of California. These, I've heard these names before. I just know that Sacramento is at the northern part. Okay. Um, and Santa Barbara uh, is close to the beach, so I'm assuming that it's a little, a little further down south. Okay. I'll believe you. So... During the attack, the woman was able to free herself and ran into the streets screaming for help. This caused the attacker to flee the scene, uh, and a witness did see the attacker right away on a silver bike, but despite giving a description to police, were unable to apprehend the suspect. And by this time, it had been three months since the East Area Rapist last attack, so the area was kind of, they were starting to feel at ease. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, for the most part, they were like, there's probably like always that thought that like he could still be out there, but he wasn't. It was completely different towns. Mm-hmm. So you know they were like, oh well, the East area, they they can rest at ease. Yeah, However, in Santa Barbara, an attacker would soon be known as the Night Stalker and would begin to terrorize the area. Ugh. On December thirtieth, nineteen seventy nine. Robert Offerman and his girlfriend, Deborah Manning, were found dead in Offerman's home. Both had been shot, and paw prints from a large dog were found at the scene, which led police to believe that perhaps the killer brought one with him. That seems very odd. Yeah. That you would bring a dog with you. Unless maybe, like, which I mean... Did they have a dog? No. Okay. Which, part of me is like, well, maybe they they brought the dog as, like, a scare tactic. But then I'm also like, neighbors did not report hearing any sort of barking. They did report hearing um, some gunshots, but they didn't report hearing any barking, which I feel like. Hmm. Wouldn't you? Well, maybe he brought maybe he brought the dog with him as, like, a ploy. Like, I'm just walking my dog down the street. Maybe. I don't know. That's odd. Yeah, it is odd. Now, March 13th, uh, Charlene Smith and Lyman Smith were found dead in their home. Charlene had been raped, and both victims had their wrists and ankles bound together and had been bludgeoned with a piece of wood found by their bodies. Mm. Police noted that the knot used to restrain the victims was an unusual diamond knot, is what it's called. Mm. It's the same knot that was found at some of the East Area Rapist case. Okay. So they did note that. Um, 
And at that time, it, the this killer was called the Diamond Knot Killer, but that was only in certain publications, and I obviously the name did not stick. No, it's not very it's not very catchy. Not very. It sounds too pretty. <laughs> so August nineteenth, newlyweds Keith and Patrice Harrington were found bludgeoned to death in their home. Patrice had been raped, and there was evidence to indicate that Keith had been restrained. Uh, however, the like the actual restraints were not found. Mm. Now, Keith's brother had been so upset by this death that he actually donated nearly $2 million to aid in collecting DNA from felons across California in hopes Shit. that they could, you know, make a connection mm-hmm. to the case. And uh, this case, I think, was particularly, um, made people feel particularly uneased not at ease, I don't know. Uh, because <laughs> uneasy, uneasy, some may say, uh, because they lived in a gated community. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll make you, that'll make you think. Now, on February sixth, Manuela uh, Witton was found raped and bludgeoned in her home, and in July twenty, uh, July twenty seventh, Sherry Domingo and Gregory Sanchez uh, were found. Gregory had been shot and bludgeoned, but had not been tied up. Uh, so it's believed that maybe, like, he tried to kind of fight back and the killer mm-hmm. just immediately took him out. Uh, but his head was covered with a piece of cloth, like, piece of clothing Weird. from the closet. Mm-hmm. Um which to me, I think it's interesting, like because he bludgeoned him, so obviously his face was gashed. So then he covered him with a like a piece of cloth, which in a lot of cases I feel like it seems like there's a bit of remorse, similar to like the Jean Benet Ramsey case, yeah. where they covered her body. It seems like there was a little bit of remorse there. You know what? I don't think he had any. I don't think he had any, but it's always interesting to pretend like he did. Yeah, but it's always one of those interesting things when you see something like that. Now, Sherry had been restrained, um, although the restraints used were also not found at the scene, um, and she had been raped and bludgeoned. Mm. Uh, May 4th, Janelle Cruz was found raped and bludgeoned, and this would be the last murder committed by the Night Stalker. It's important to note that at this time, the killer was known as the Night Stalker, but is now known as the original Night Stalker, uh, due to the serial killer Richard Ramirez later taking the title of Night Stalker. Why would they, I've always wondered why they would why they name them the same thing? They're uncreative. Because um yeah because when when you think about this one you're like here's like the original Night Stalker and then Richard Ramirez is the Night Stalker. That's so confusing. Mm-hmm. And they both happen in California. I know. So I get confused because I always thought for some reason I always thought Richard Ramirez was first. Even though I know he was called the original Night Stalker, this one, I still, I couldn't get it through my head. Yeah, obviously the news publication, they just, they were not very creative and couldn't come up with a name. No. Uh, Now, in 2001, DNA was taken from different rape cases in Contra Costa County, uh, and this uh, DNA was linked with DNA from Smith, Harrington, Woodham, and the Cruz murders. I keep... Put a pin in that. Okay. Because we're going to bump, jump to June of 2016. The FBI announced that a $50,000 reward would be given for information regarding the East Area Rapist and the original Night Stalker cases. And this is really when this case gets some traction. Okay. You know, it's only taken. Yeah. 40 years. Forever. 
Eventually, through the use of genetic ge- genealogy searching, investigators were able to identify distant relatives of Joseph D'Angelo. Uh, and from there, they built, like, multiple family trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess because they they were able to, like, find DNA, maybe from, like, his great-grandfather or something. Mm-hmm. So then they had to figure out, like, I don't know exactly how DNA works. I don't either. But I, like, basically they, the more they tested and they compared different things, they were able to slowly eliminate family members mm-hmm. until only Joseph D'Angelo remained. No, well, you may have this, but didn't they test, like, his daughter's DNA? Did you see that? I did not see that in my searches, but it's also... I looked a lot more at, like, the cold case file, and the other video that I watched was before it fa- they found, so, like, there's there's a lot of shit Because I can't remember if this was how it was, but I think they did all that, like, they did all that genealogy stuff, and then, like, to get more of a match, I think they may have used, either it was his, well, I guess it wouldn't be his stepdaughter, I think it was, like, his daughter or relative who, like, went to college somewhere, I think. And they got, like, her DNA from, like, college doctors or something. And that's how they tracked him down. I didn't find that. I think I, I heard that. I can't remember exactly where I heard that. Now, I did find... Don't that take that as fact, people. Look, look it up. She's making shit up. Um, she's derailing my investigation. But I have heard that. I have heard that something like that. And if it wasn't him, that happened to somebody else. Now, I do know that they they collected samples, like, from his DNA, uh-huh. but they got that from, like, the door handle of his mm-hmm. car, um, and they found tissue, uh, like, from his curbside garbage can. Yeah. And they were able to match samples associated to the Golden State Killer crimes from there, mm. which there is some talk about, like, how they were able to gather that information. Is like, that legal? Yeah, like, like there's some, it comes into a question of that. As of right now, they got them. Yeah. But. Which at this point, I feel like, even cares? if that comes back and it's not legal, I mean, what's going to happen? They're, somebody's going to get a slap on the wrist because what would we rather have? You know, like, whoever collected the DNA may be like, hey, please don't do that. We're not going to do that like that again. That's not legal. Because it may come into, like, a due process question, mm-hmm. like, on the 14th Amendment. But I also think that the public would be enraged if they were like, I'm sorry, this evidence can't be admitted anymore. He's getting out. People would lose their <laughs> shit. People would be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it does come into question, like, is that an ethical way or legal way to collect DNA? Like, if you don't have, like, a warrant. Yeah. Because they definitely, like, rolled up to his house and was like, let me swab it. Because, like, his car is probably in the driveway. Mm-hmm. His trash can clearly on the street. So they think they just sort of... Jossa? Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Now, on April 24th, 2018, Sacramento County Sheriff deputies arrested Joseph D'Angelo and charged him with eight counts of first-degree murder. On May 10th, the Santa Barbara County District Attorney Office charged... Uh, D'Angelo with four additional counts of first-degree murder, and D'Angelo would eventually offer up a, a confession, if you want to, okay. if you want to call it that, uh, after his arrest, where he referred to having like an inner personality, like an alternate personality oh. that he called Jerry. Um, Why? Don't don't shame the name of all Jerry's out there. <laughs> Um, so he claimed that Jerry had forced him to commit the wave of crimes, uh, that ended abruptly in 1986. He stated, 
I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed out Jerry and had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all those lives. So now I've got to pay the price. Yeah, you do. Even though you're like old. What? what? Yeah. He's old now, right? He's, like fairly old? Yes, he's very old. He, let me see if I can figure out how old he is. He was very old. He's 74. Yeah. As of right now. So he was probably like 70. Because I remember caught. when he went to like court, everybody was like, oh, he's acting so like, he was acting like so feeble. Like, oh, I just can't do it. And I'm like, quit putting on a show, boy. Yeah. Now, D'Angelo could not be charged with the rapes or burglaries. Statute of limitations, baby. Because of the statutes <laughs> of limitations. They had expired, um, but he was charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. Good. Which I think, statute of limitations on burglary, okay, that's fine. Rape, no. There shouldn't no, be no statute of limitations no. on rape. I'm going to go on record now and say that no. Because, like... I don't know. Sometimes no. I feel like rape... Well, I mean, if you're murdered, you're, like, murdered, and that's really bad. But, like, is there not a statute of limitations on kidnapping? I guess not. I, I feel like rape would be just as, maybe more traumatic. Yeah. Depending on what type of kidnapping it is. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It. I don't think there should have been a statute of limitations on rape. For burglary, I could kind of get it. Yeah, I mean, because burglary isn't necessarily, like, violent and terrible and awful. Yes, if the if the burglary did not, like, end up, like, you hurting someone, you know? Yeah. Because you could just go rob a 7-Eleven when it's closed. Yeah. For burglary? I don't even know if you have to take anything from, like... I think it's just, like, breaking like in. Like, going in, yeah. Yeah, I saw this video the other day with this girl... Um, she walked, she was drunk and she walked into a Walgreens and I guess somebody had already <laughs> smashed the window. No. And so she was like, oh, I, she was drunk. So she wanted some snacks. <laughs> so she just went on in, collected all this food, but then no. she, she left a $20 bill on the counter with a note <laughs> and said, keep the change. Hey. And it was considered looting. And so someone in the, um, oh. someone in the comments was like, how could it be considered looting if you paid? If you paid? And she said that it was considered looting the second she stepped in the door. That, well, Even though she's not the one that like smashed the window. Damn. Well, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Next time, <laughs> next time just get Uber Eats. Yeah. You know, it's going to cost just go you. To a, just go to the gas station across the street that's still open. Yeah. You know, call Uber Eats. It'll cost you $45. For like one chicken tender. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you, won't, you probably won't go to jail. No. Um, now, on August 21st, 2020, D'Angelo received multiple consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. And that is where the case stands currently. It's very recent. Yes. Um, but I'll talk a little bit just about, like, maybe some a little bit more logistics of it. Um, so, D'Angelo lived in the East Area, like, Sacramento area. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, the reason that there was a break in it was because he moved mm. from the Sacramento area to the Santa Monica area. Santa Monica or Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara. Okay. They're all. I didn't want people in California to be like, yeah, they're totally different. <laughs> I don't know if they are. 
They might be. <laughs> they sound very I similar. I guess they're different, but I, I don't guess they're know different. where they're located. It's very similar to, like, in North Carolina, we have a lot of Vils. Yes. Asheville, Greensville, uh, Statesville. Knoxville. Uh, do we have... No. Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> no. That's Terrible. Yeah, we got all these, so, like, I, my, listen, I get it. I get Ashboro and Asheville confused all the time and they are very different ashboro is where the zoo is and ashville is where the hippies are <laughs> hippies are in the breweries yes um but that is why there was a little bit of a shift um no as far as like why he stopped i don't see any reason why he stopped other than he just stopped did he like did he have a family when he was doing the murdering yes, already? He, he did have a mur- he did have a murder. He did have a family. So like I, the only thing I can think of is just he was like, "Well, time to settle down" cuz he married his wife in 1973. So they were together mm-hmm. pretty much the entire time because they married in 1973. Uh, and the rapes began in 1976. So oh. they were together for a very long time. That's odd. And they only divorced in 2019, which is when he... Well, so I think that she probably, at the second he got arrested... Well, yeah. But you know, like, there's those but rules I'm, about... Well, yeah. I'm not, I'm not like, surprised that she... I'm not like, oh, she stayed with him for three years <laughs> after she... I'm more like... He must have been a real good actor or something because I couldn't see how... I don't know. I feel like he would have some red flags or something, but maybe not. I don't know. Because he was... He, I mean, I feel like all things considered, he seemed like he really... He very much reminds me of BTK in the fact that he... You know how I feel about BTK. I, I I'm just, you, like, shaking. <laughs> I know how you feel about BTK, but he very much reminds me of that in oh, the yeah. fact that, like... BTK was like a Boy Scout leader and was he able was, to live yeah. like a normal he had a life. But then D'Angelo was an officer and had been a sergeant in the army. Ugh. So I don't like. He seemed like a, like a a clean cut guy, mm-hmm. you know, probably a family man. But like no one knew. Uh, I don't understand. The only thing I'm a little confused about is, uh, as far as, like. Where did his wife think he was? I know. That's what I was wondering. If Brandon was, like, out gallivanting every night, it, I would at least, at, like, just the slightest be like, he's cheating. We're going to have a talk about this. Because unless he was able to, like, sneak out. But um, I don't think. I don't know. I mean, in the 70s, he was in, like, the burglary unit of the police, like, force mm. so the only thing i can think of is that he like maybe she just thought he was like working maybe. maybe he was working the night shift you think he was investigating his own burglaries i don't know and throwing them off of his own trail uh i don't know you didn't come up with these I, theories i didn't come up with these theories i don't which i don't know if he actually worked at the police department, that would have been dealing with his theories. But also, that would be a good idea to burgle places to where you know you're going to be working the burglary cases. And so, if somebody gets a little too close to you, then you're like, whoa, sir, I think you are completely wrong. Yeah, it's very similar to when Ted Bundy, like, volunteered uh-huh. at the, the tip line yes. for all these missing women. So, 
I mean, it would make sense that he, because he was a police officer and he did specialize in the burglary unit, that he would know how to get away with burglary. True. But that is a very, very, very brief, condensed version of the Golden State Killer, a.k.a. the original Night Stalker. I I didn't want to go too in-depth because there is just too much. I could have... I could do a part two, maybe, with, <laughs> with all these theories and all this extra stuff. Especially, it's interesting the way that this case unfolded because we are just now in the, yeah. the, like the past few years and even like the past month or two mm-hmm. getting more information regarding this case. So, like, as far as his like life and how he connected to it, I think a yeah. decent bit of that is still unknown because it, it was a cold case for so long. Yeah. And I also do know, um, you know, Michelle McNamara, mm-hmm. her book, I think, really brought, like, all of this back to the forefront, like, really hard, like, right before he was caught. I can't remember the name of her book. I think it's, like, it's not I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It's something like that. But I'm pretty sure she came up with the Golden State Killer name, which was, like, super catchy. And then I think papers maybe caught on to it. And so that really also brought it back to the forefront when she was kind of like, we need to pay attention to this. And she passed away, though. I don't know. I've listened to uh, My Favorite Murder. They talk about her a lot because Karen was, like, friends with her. So, I've never read the book. I don't really have time to read the book. But I do know that that is, like, a pretty good account if you're into reading. <laughs> I, I never read. I think, also, you probably do audiobook. Yeah. I just remember when I re- listened to this case as a small child <laughs> uh, on the, the Cold Case File documentary. Whatever I watched. Uh, to this day, I don't know what I watched. Sounds like your dad would have been more into a Cold Case Files episode rather than a documentary. (laughs) Well, I think it could have been because they definitely interviewed victims. Uh And so that's why I'm like, but it seemed like it was fairly long. So Hmm. that's why I'm thinking like my dad might have. Also a child. Yeah. Six (laughs) hours long. Um, So I don't know if like, if like he was watching something and then a documentary came on afterwards. My dad was definitely asleep when I was watching this. But I remember at the end where they're like, and they never found him. I was like, no, he's out there. And I'm like, dad, where's California? Yeah, I didn't know where. I was like, oh God, California, Carolina. They've got to be close. There's there's beach at both. (laughs) So. Yes. That story. I mean, at least you can tell it now and there's an ending-ish. Yes. There's an ending. He's in jail. Yes, and I remember when the they caught him. I do too. I remember distinctly because I, I believe you were the one that broke the news to me. You were like, "Did you hear?" I probably did because I remember your mom was really into that when it happened. Yes, my mom's my mom's very into true crime. I texted her about the American Murder. I was just like, "Hey, did you watch it?" You know the Netflix thing, and she called me and she was like. <gasps> this warrants a phone call. Have I watched it? <laughs> I was like, all right. I see you have. <laughs> well, I have not watched it. I'm going to get on it. You should watch it. I watched it with Brandon. Don't watch it with your significant other. You might be worried that they were going to murder you. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, this is giving Brandon some ideas. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, you should watch it. If y'all haven't watched it, watch it. We can talk about it in the Facebook group. There's there's a slight chat about it now, but I'd like to hear other thoughts. Mm, yeah, currently. I'm trying to finish The Haunting of Bly Manor. It's really losing its momentum. <laughs> Netflix, if you're listening to this, make your series shorter. You don't have to stretch it out to nine and ten episodes. No. You can sum it up in five. Well, Five really good episodes. I watched Enola Holmes. It was a pretty cute movie. It's got Millie Bobby Brown. 
Um, and the gal, I can't even remember her name. The gal who plays um, Bellatrix, is that her name? <gasps> on Helena Harry Bond Potter. Carter. Yes, you know, you know who I'm talking about. I know about. who I'm talking about. That, she is that bitch. <laughs> she is that bitch, so yeah. Watch that too. It's pretty good. It's not like amazing, but Millie Bobby Brown, she's got it going on. <laughs> even though she's a little small child. No, nah, she's not that small anymore. <laughs> I'm going to quit talking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Please <laughs> just shut your mouth. Let me Let me wrap this up. <laughs> Next week's episode is Urban Legends. It's our Halloween special. Spooky. spooky. I believe it's coming out the day before Halloween. It is. So get get spooky. Um, light some candles. Don't burn your house down. Don't burn your house down, please. We will not be held responsible. No. Um, and uh, send us a story, any story, weird stories, spooky stories, whatever you got to this is going to sound weird at gmail.com put your pronouns in if you would like mm-hmm. if not then we'll try we'll try to do our best we'll try to do our best uh follow us on instagram at gonna sound weird pod and follow us on twitter at gonna sound weird and join our facebook group which i just mentioned please get in there get, get on in there get in there don't get in a fight but get in there i mean get in yeah. there <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you can cause a little bit of fight you can cause a little bit of ruckus but if it gets too out of hand i'm gonna have to shut that shit down uh-huh. i am a moderator <laughs> <laughs> all right we will see y'all next week goodbye goodbye